Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning Trinity, how are you doing today? It's good to see everybody, everybody's a little tired today. You know why we're missing energy? We sent 60 teenagers to convention. That's why you also have more snacks out there. Because there ain't 60 miles in there and hands going in there. So it's good to see everybody today. Um, a couple things real quick before we get started. Again, don't forget to pray. Like Daniel said, prayer is the gasoline in the engine of the church. Uh, we have our 24-hour prayer focus on October the uh, 24th. Uh, be a part of that. Sign up for a one-hour time slot. It's incredible. God moves when people pray. Also, pray about what you would do for Family Fest. Uh, we need bodies and we need, uh, we need candy. Boy, do we need candy. Uh, and we need your financial support, too. It's going to be great. Um, I'm excited this entire month. Uh, we've been pushing into this new theme called Stranger Things. Um, sometimes we forget that the church was created to deal with spiritual realities. Not just physical things. We are not just the Red Cross. We're not just relief organization. You know, we are a, an organization that deals with the hearts and the spirits of people as well. So last week we started this whole uh, series called uh, Stranger Things. We talked about you know, the fact that there is a spirit realm. This week we take another step. What is God you know, asking us to do in this realm? And then you know, who is our enemy? You know that your enemy is not your neighbor that throws leaves in your yard. Your enemy is not you know, that guy at your job that doesn't like you. Your, energy, or your enemy is not your teacher that doesn't like you. I mean, you're failing that class. There's nothing to do that you don't turn any homework in. They just don't like you, right? Your enemy is not even that person that's got a different political affiliation than you do. Your enemy is the one behind the scenes. So who, who is he? I remember a few years ago, I was in uh, Pittsburgh. We were at a little church on the north side of Pittsburgh. We had all these teenagers. Didn't know what to do with them. It was the summertime, and I was praying. I was like, Lord, I want to take our kids somewhere where they could have an intense ministry experience. So I was praying one day in the basement of our church, and I'm like, Lord, where can I take these kids to have a spiritual experience? And God kind of came down, and he plunked me on top of the head. He was like, hello, you're in the city of Pittsburgh. Go outside and share my love. So I thought, oh, that's a great idea. So we started this thing called Pittsburgh Invasion. Last year they ran, and I think there was about 3,000 kids that joined us. Uh, we started it years ago, and it was just a time for us to flood our city with God's love. And we would strategically partner with churches in the city, and then we would also uh, strategically engage the different big parks. We were at Westside Park uh, in the city of Pittsburgh on the north side, and we had a big tractor trailer out there. We had a, a band on top of it. We had guest speakers. One of my buddies uh, um, was there speaking, and he was, uh, his name is Reggie Dabbs. He's a big African-American guy, uh, does all kind of stuff. And we were just getting ready to go and do our thing. The music is bumping and everybody's having a great time and there's people all over the place. And all of a sudden, all the music stops. I look over at the sound tech people because I'm kind of a sound nerd. And there's a lady standing there. She's got a winter coat on her. Crazy, her hair's all crazy. And she's holding a cord in her hands. She goes, ha ha, I shut off the music. I looked at her and said, put that back. I grabbed it off of her. We put it back in. And I remember it was me, Reggie, and there was this other kid. He was a young youth pastor from somewhere. And then she whipped around, and I'll never forget the look on her face. She had this crazy look on her face. She looked at us, and she says, I know who you are. She goes, and I know why you're here. And like the hair in the back of my neck stood up. It was one of those encounters. And I remember Reggie looked at her, and he goes, we know exactly you know who we are. And he goes, and you know what? You can't stop us. When he said that, this lady reared back and punched him in the head. Reggie's a big guy. And he went like, he's, oh, he goes, he goes, you know, I don't have time for you. He goes, TJ, deal with her. And he walked away and I went, what? She just punched you in the head and you're double my size. So I started to talk to this lady. You could tell that she was not just alone. There was something inside of her. And she kept, she started to, to writhe. And she started to foam. And she said, you have no power here. You have no place here. This is my domain. And the louder she got, the louder I got. And I was just, every scripture I could think of, I was quoting, I don't know, you know, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And we're talking. And then she shifted. She was getting angry. She goes, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your wife. I have a gun. I'm going to shoot you. And the youth pastor kid sent next to me. He's like, you shoot us. Go ahead. We're not afraid to die. Pull out the gun. Shoot us. And I'm like, will you shut up? 
I know someday we're all going to see Jesus. I don't want to expedite the process. It was the craziest thing. Then she took her nails, the weirdest thing, and she started to scratch her arms. And her arms were filled with blood. And she started to slap my chest with her arms. I had a white shirt on, and it just looked ridiculous. At that point, the young youth pastor was really bold. He was on his knees. I think, I think he tingled a little, actually. He was getting a little nervous, and it was fierce. And I, this thing welled up within me. It was the Holy Spirit. And I was speaking and singing to her, and it was crazy. And she's riled. She's getting loud. And all of a sudden, these two little girls walk by. And she spins around. She does a pirouette. She grabs these two little girls. She goes, she goes, I'm not that bad of a person, am I? And they go, oh, no, sweetie, you're not bad at all. And she walked away, and I remember she turned around and she looked at me and just walked off. I'll never forget the look in her face. And I realized in that moment, you know, sometimes we forget that we have a spiritual enemy that is on the move to push forward his agenda and to combat God's. Now, again, we don't see it every day, but let's just be real. It exists. It's there. So what do we do as a church when we come into contact with this? Know this, beloved. The enemy is real, and his heart is very simple, to destroy every part of the works of God. And do you know this? God's greatest accomplishment, his greatest creation, is you. You and I are image bearers. We are made in his image. And just for that reason, the enemy hates your guts. He's not powerful enough to get at God, but you know what he can do? He can mess with God's children. And that's me and that's you. So the enemy's real. He's looking around and he's, he's here to destroy the world. But God had a plan. And you know what his plan was? You. He left us in charge of the family business. Do you remember the first time your mom and dad left you at home by yourself when they went out on a date? You know, you're probably, you know, if you're back in the 80s, like when I was born, you were like nine. Nowadays, you leave a nine-year-old home, they call the police on you, right? You're of that age, and they're not sure, and you're not sure, and they leave, and you're like, okay. I remember my dad's like, okay, you're in charge. I'm like, in charge of what? We got three TV channels, you know, microwave dinners, what, you know, we don't even we had a microwave back then. What am I in charge of? I think God, you know, kind of had the same thing. When he left, when Jesus left, he said, oh, what? by the way, guys, I got to leave so the Holy Spirit will come. I'll be back again, but until I get back, you guys are in charge. You got to think, Peter, one of the guys was like, what? Are you nuts? We can't do this. But they did. And 2,000 years later, here we are. Why? Because God equipped the church as the only mechanism, the only organism to deal with darkness. That's me. That's you. And beloved, when we fail to step up, the enemy does whatever he wants. What we're experiencing now is because the church has been asleep for too long. It's time for the church to wake up and to get to our knees and to pray that God would once invade this planet with his love, his power, and his presence. It's up to us. We're the ones that are equipped to face the darkness. So what darkness are we facing? Well, today, we take a look at the enemy. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. You saw this verse twice last week, and you'll see it again more than two times as we continue to roll. Now, let me just preface this before we talk about this. Anytime you talk about spiritual things, specifically, I make sure that it is saturated in Scripture. Now, last week, we had a lot of Scriptures on the screen. This week, there's more. If you don't like Scripture, you may want to check out right now. Because you can't talk about this stuff and just shoot from the hip. I'm not telling you my opinion on anything. I'm telling you what the Word says. It's your decision what you're going to do with the Word or what you're not going to do with the Word. It's up to you. Ephesians 6.10 says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now we look at that verse to remind us again. Our enemy is not the person. We deal, the church deals with the thing behind the person. 
If you deal with that, then the other stuff takes care of itself. We deal with the source, not just the surface things. Now, don't get me wrong. We also speak into the surface things, but don't think that just speaking into the surface things will change the back stuff. It doesn't. The enemy's too slick for that. Sometimes we waste all of our energy and time on surface issues. I want to get to the source. I remember a few years ago, I uh, was eating some delicious pistachios and I busted a tooth. I went to the dentist and it was weird. I busted a tooth here, but the front of my mouth was killing me, like these front two teeth. So I went to the dentist and they looked at it and said, we could fix it. And I said, well, he said, we'll have to you know, do something with it. I said, well, how do you deal with the front teeth? He goes, your issue is not the front tooth, it's the back tooth. I said, no, 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 pain's right here. He goes, I understand. He goes, the source of your pain is in the back. He said, trust me, I'm a dentist. Okay. But I saw on YouTube, no, don't. By the way, here's a little side note for you too. If you're having a procedure, don't look it up on YouTube to see what it looks like. Especially if it's something that's dealing with your organs. Nothing good ever comes from that. Okay? So you know what's funny? He gave me a root canal. How many of you like root canals? Fa la 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 la, right? Gave me a root canal, and guess what happened? The pain in the front of my mouth went away. You know, in dental stuff, you get this thing, it's called referred pain. It just sends it up there. So as a church, we deal with the source. We're the only ones that can deal with the source. So who is the source of all of this evil? Who is our adversary? Who are the forces of evil? When we look at the forces of evil, we're going to break them into two categories. The big dog, which is Satan, and we're going to talk about what demons are. Now, the Bible is full of explanations for us to understand, you know, who the devil is and what he does. We're just going to break that down today. So who is Satan? Now, when you think of Satan, what pops into your mind? Do you think of the guy with the red suit, the little tail and the pitchfork? Blah, that guy, do you think of that guy? I told you this story when we were in Denver. We had a lady in our church and she grew up, you know, back in the holiness movement. They were not allowed to wear red because red was the devil's color. Because everybody knows all the photographs we have of the devil, he's always wearing some shade of red. Right? Want to hear something funny? I think the enemy portrays that to try to get us to think lesser of him. Oh, he's not a big deal at all. He's funny. There's nothing funny about the enemy. Nothing. So who is the enemy? What do you think of when you hear him? Everything we know about the enemy, we gather from the Bible. First, know this. Satan, that word literally means an adversary or the one who resists. His very name speaks to part of his function. And we know this about the devil. These are a few things that we can just talk about from the word. First, Satan wasn't always evil. He didn't start out as the bad guy. Don't forget this, beloved. Sometimes the enemy tries to, to make you feel that him and God are at the same level. They are not. You have God, and then you have everything else. They're not on the same level. That means this. The enemy cannot do things that God can do. For example, only God can create. Did you know that? Nothing on this planet exists without God. Nothing in the universe exists without God. The Bible tells us with a word he creates. God creates. The enemy can't create. You know what he can do? Pervert. He can twist. He can, he can turn things. Why? Because that was the beginning of where he came from. We know that he was a created being that became corrupted. If you got your Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 14. Guys, we're going to read a lot of scripture today. But they're fun, weird scriptures, so you're going to have a ball. Isaiah 14, 12 says this. Speaking of Lucifer, which was his, his heaven name. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend up above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you're brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. The Bible says this in Ezekiel about the devil. Ezekiel 28. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say this to him. This is what the sovereign Lord says. You were in Eden, in the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, crystallite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis, lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. 
On the day you were created, they were prepared. Verse 14, you were anointed as a guardian cherub, so for, uh, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. Verse 16, through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace to the mountain of God. I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and, you're corrupted, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth and I made a spectacle uh, of you before kings. So we know that Lucifer was good. We know that at some point, pride entered his heart and he had a desire to be higher than God. Beloved, pride is a very dangerous thing. Stay humble. Stay open. Stay broken. So we know that. We know this about the enemy, about Satan. We know that he started a rebellion in heaven. We know that Satan's craftiness is not just limited to humans and the earth, but he deceived a third of the angels of heaven. There was a great war in heaven, and a third of the angels of heaven followed Lucifer in his quest to be like God. This is what Revelation 12, 7 says. Then war broke out in the heavens. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. We know this. We know that the enemy controls the earth right now and the skies above the earth. God has given him that control. This is his domain down here. How do we know that? Scripture tells us. 1 John 5.19 says this, we know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Now, does that mean that God cannot bring his purposes about on the planet? Absolutely not. He's sovereign. But God in his infinite wisdom, and I don't understand it, but he'll tell us why he did it someday, desires to enact his will on the planet through your prayers. He wants us to do this together as a collaboration. When you pray, God hears. When you pray, God moves. When you don't pray, God is silent. He needs us. Matthew 4, 8 says this. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain. This is when Jesus was being tempted. And showed him all the kings of the world and their glory. Verse 9, I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. How could he give them all the kingdoms? They were his to give. We know this. He accuses humanity before God. The enemy is the big accuser of the brethren. Now again, the enemy loves to masquerade to pretend like he's God. One of the attributes of God is God is omnipresent. You know what that means? God is everywhere all the time. You can't go anywhere and be away from God. The enemy is a single created being. The devil's just a single created being. That means he's in one spot right now. He's not everywhere. He appears to be everywhere because he is a great network, but he's, he's in one spot. So where is he? Is he in like Tahiti? Is he in Kiev? You know, the Steelers are playing Buffalo today. Is he in Buffalo? Probably. We know he's with Tom Brady, right? <laughs> where is he? The Bible tells us. Revelation 12, 9 says this. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, Satan, the one who's deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. Look at verse 10. And then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth. The one who accuses them before God day and night. What is he doing right now? What is Satan doing right now? He's accusing you before God day and night. Do me a favor. Don't make it easy on him on how easy it is to show you, you know, how he can accuse you before God. Don't be a knucklehead. Now, what's beautiful is this. If you've given your heart to Christ, even though the enemy says, look at TJ, he's a dirtball. God doesn't see TJ. He sees the blood of his son. This is why we're not righteous enough on our own. We need him. We see another window into this in the Job chapter 1. Job 1, 6 says this. One of the days, or one day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord. And the accuser, Satan, came with them. 
Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord. I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. You can't accuse if you're not watching people, right? Then the Lord said to Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and he stays away from evil. By the way, who appointed or who, who pointed out Job to Satan? Thanks, God. I'm flying under the radar and look what happens. Why did God do that? Spoke to Job to test him, but he spoke something to us too. Do you know that God believes you could be everything that he tells you you can be? He sees more in you than you see in yourself, beloved. He does. Verse 9, Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. What what do we learn from this passage? God can put a hedge of protection around anybody. If God says no trespassing, the, the enemy can't trespass. He just can't, right? Verse 10, you've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has and he'll surely curse you to your face. Verse 12, all right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want uh, with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. We know he's an accuser. We know this about Satan. We know that he's a liar and we know that he's a deceiver. He is in the lying and deception business. It started in the garden. It started before the garden with the angels in heaven. It's just what he does. John 8, 44 says this, for you are your children, uh, you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Second Corinthians 11 says this, Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment for their wicked deeds deserved. So if the enemy is an angel of light and he's always trying to deceive us, how on earth are we to know what the truth is and what the enemy is? It's the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you that brings discernment. It shows you the heart and the will of God. And it shows you what's in front of you. This is why it's important, brothers and sisters, that you spend time in God's presence to be able to recognize who God is. If you can recognize God, the enemy doesn't have a chance. But when we don't get our nose in the book and we don't spend time with God, we're easily deceived. Don't be easily deceived. We know this about Satan. Satan wants to destroy humanity. He hates your guts. He wants you to die, and he wants you to spend eternity apart from God with him. Why? You're made in God's image. You're an image bearer, and he hates that. He does. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. John 10.10 says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. So we know that Satan is leading the charge, but we know that Satan is not God. He'll make you think he's as powerful as God, but he really isn't. He's a created being and he has limitations, unlike our God. He doesn't possess God's attributes. But he appears to be winning everything. He appears to be everywhere. How is he able to do this? Well, that brings us to the next part of our equation. Ephesians 6.12 says this, and again, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The enemy has an incredible system of demons and powers and authorities, forces of evil that control this spiritual realm, that make it appear that he's got the same power as God. So the enemy's evil henchmen are these demons. So what are demons and where do they come from? Are you ready for this? The Bible isn't perfectly clear. It's not. The Bible gives us some some insight, but it's not perfectly clear. We do know know some things about, about the enemy. We surmise that demons are first, some are fallen angels, some that were thrown down to the earth in you know in the rebellion in heaven. Now we know not all of them are. Why? Because this is what the word says about them. 
Jude 6.1 says this, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for the judgment on the great day. So we know some of these, these angels, these fallen angels, are here bound somewhere. What does it mean that they're bound in, in, in darkness with everlasting chains? We don't know. 2 Peter 2.4 says this, For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. We know that there's a certain number of, demons, of, of fallen angels that be, they're, they're being held for this next judgment. And they're not loose upon the planet. So what we surmise is this. Some of those high-ranking ones are, are in chains and other fallen angels have taken the authority and the position of these demons. There are other free demons that have joined the ranks of evil. Well, how many of them exist? We have no clue. But we do know this. We know that they do exist because God talks about them. The Bible talks about them. We know there's different functions and there's different types and there's different ranks. One of those things is, you know, that the forces of darkness embraces is these evil spirits. This is what we know about evil spirits on the planet. We know this from Jewish tradition and some of the things that the Bible says that they're connected to the Nephilim. There are these spirits that are called shades. And I know you're thinking to yourself, Pastor TJ, where are you getting this stuff? Ready for this? The Bible. The Bible. Isaiah 14.9 says this. Sheol beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades to greet you. That word shade actually means shadow. These spiritual shadows that exist. All who are leaders of the earth, it raises them from their thrones, all who are kings of the nations. When you look at those last three, three scriptures there, when you look at the Hebrew, the connotations of those are spiritual leaders in a spiritual realm. There's a blend between human and spiritual. It's weird. This is what Isaiah 26 says. O Lord, our God, other lords beside you have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring uh, to remembrance. They are dead and they won't live. They are shades. They will not arise. We know this. At some point, all of us will rise to face the judgment. Correct? Not these ones. They will not arise. And by the way, the, the ESV, which is a great translation, nails this. They do. To that end, you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. Now we know this. We know the early church believed from Jewish tradition that the evil spirits that dwell on the earth are connected to the Nephilim. Do you know who the Nephilim are? If you got your Bibles, flip over to Genesis real quick, chapter 6, verse 4. Nephilim is translated very simply as giant. The Nephilim was this hybrid breed that came about when the daughters of, of, of men got together with the sons of God. Genesis 6-4 says this, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. We know this. When you actually read that passage, and in, 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 again, I'm a word nerd, in Hebrew, the sons of God, that word G, is Elohim, which means these were God-like creatures. The council of the gods, basically, is who it was, which is crazy, but it's true. And they intermarried, and then you had all of these, these, these people of renown, and they had this, this dilemma. Because they were part divine and part human, when they died, what happened? Well, the Jews believed this. Those spirits of the Nephilim were bound to the earth until the final judgment. They were restless here waiting for their judgment for their, their final fate. Now the Bible, Peter and John, refer to these Jewish traditions. But here's the reality. We don't know for sure. We just know that those things happen. And this is one thing we know about demons. We know one thing that they're not. We know that demons are not the spirits of dead humans. What happens when we die? Guys, I don't want to burst your bubble. I understand Patrick Swayze was a beautiful man. He was a dancer, a lover of art, pottery, a beautiful man. 
But the Bible does not teach us that when you die, you hang around until you accomplish your thing and then you get to go either up or you go down. The Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible tells us that when you die, the first thing that happens is your spirit goes to be with God. Jesus talked about this in Luke 23. When he hung on the cross, he said this. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says this. We are fully confident and would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. Where your body is, when your body is done, your spirit goes to be with the Lord. It just does. And then Paul tells us this, or excuse me, not Paul, the writer of Hebrews tells us this, when you die, we don't linger into a place, you go right to the judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says this, and just as each person is destined to die once, and after comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once and for all as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. Now for us as believers, you know, that, that price has been paid by Christ. But we'll go to a different judgment. We call it the Bema Seed judgment. That's when God tests our works. And they're either going to be gold and silver and beautiful things, or they're going to be wood, hay, and stubble. God cares about the motive of why you do what you do, not just the act. So what does all this mean? We know that there's no humans just hanging around as ghosts. Um, We know this, that we don't know where demons come from. But we know they exist. And more importantly, we know their assignments. What are demons, what are they assigned to do? What do they do? Well, they follow their leader, Satan, which includes this. We know that they deceive. Satan deceived, so demons deceive. 1 Timothy 4.1 says this. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Some are on an assignment just to deceive you. We know this. We know that they afflict people. The Bible is full of so many stories of how demons would afflict us. I know what you're thinking, Pastor. That's Old Testament time. That's New Testament time. That was thousands of years ago. The devil doesn't do that anymore because we're so more advanced. We're so much smarter. We're better educated because everybody knows education is what you need to combat the spirit realm. right? If it happened then, beloved, it can happen now. Matthew 12, says this, then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. He healed the man so that he could both speak and see. He dealt with the demon. His ailments were taken care of. Mark 9, 20 says this, so they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. Verse 21, how long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire, into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. We know that not all sickness is a demon possession, but we know this, that demons do afflict. It's possible it happens. We know this, demons possess and they influence people. That lady that I met, At West Park on the north side of Pittsburgh, I can tell you right now, there was more than one person living in that house. And I hope I don't meet them again. Now, there's a difference between being possessed and being influenced. No believer can be possessed because the Spirit of God lives inside of you. But know this, you can be influenced. You can be deceived, beloved. Be careful. All of us at times can be deceived. Matthew 8, 16 says this, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed, you see the weird word in front of that? How many demon-possessed? Many. Many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with the word, and he healed all the sick. Luke 8, 1 says this, Soon afterwards, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been uh, cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out, Seven demons. Gentlemen, I know sometimes you and your wife have, you don't connect very well. And perhaps you're on one page and she's on another page. I would never recommend that you make any inference that the reason she thinks she does 
what she does and what you do is because demons are involved. Or she just may kill you. You may die. But it could happen. Trust me. The Holy Spirit inside of you will let you know when you have those types of encounters. You do. Our challenge today is this. We stay away from anything that resembles any encounter like that. And here's the sad thing. We're the only ones equipped to deal with that. We're the ones empowered by the Holy Spirit that bring freedom. If we don't step up, who does? Matthew 12 says this about how evil spirits function, how they move around. This is crazy. Ready for this? It's in the Word. I don't make this up. These are the words of Jesus. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept, or empty, swept, and put in order. By the way, let me just pause here. This is why it's not just good enough to see people be set free from these things. They have to be filled with something. You have to be filled with Christ. If not, you're just an empty house ready for new tenants, which is not good. Verse 45. Then it goes and it brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and they dwell in the house. The last state of that person is worse than the first. So it'll be with this evil generation. We know this about the enemy and demons. They love to pretend to be God. 1 Corinthians 10, 19 says this. What am I trying to say? I'm saying that food offered to idols has some significance or that idols are real gods. No, not at all. I'm not saying these sacrifices are, uh, I'm saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not God. And I don't want you to participate with demons. Demons will masquerade like they're gods. So we know this, the forces of darkness are all around us. We know that we're called to deal with the forces of darkness. So what do we do? Where do we start? Where do we go from here? Well, next week, no, just kidding. <laughs> the next part, it says the way, the way this month's designed is this. I'm going to give you a taste today of what we're called to do. Alan Griffin is going to come next week to give us a breath. And then the last weeks in October, we're going to talk about, you know, our assignment, our heavenly allies. You know, we have heavenly allies. God didn't call us to do this all by ourselves and what he wants us to do with things. But I can't leave you here just like this today. So look at the passage again. This is Ephesians 6.13 now. Paul paints the picture and he says, you're battling spiritual forces. And then he uses a great word, therefore. So Paul paints the picture. He says, guys, they're big, they're mean, they're nasty, it's bad. Therefore, which basically means this, that means you need this. He says this, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, we put on our armor that protects us and empowers us to do what God created us to do. So what are the components of our armor that we need to battle the enemy? Ephesians 6.14 says this, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. It starts with truth. What is our truth? Our truth is the Word of God. You cannot battle the enemy with your emotions. You cannot battle the enemy with your opinions. You cannot battle the enemy with, with fact-checkers. You battle the enemy with truth. Who is our source of ultimate truth? Jesus Christ. He said it. He stated it. John 14, 6 says this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. That means the words that proceed from his mouth, the nature of Jesus is our truth. When you think of your core, I don't know if you've, have you ever worked out, you know, your arms are great, your legs are great, but you want to get strong, you got you to strengthen your core muscles. Why? Your core holds everything together. If your truth is off, I don't care what your arms and your feet look like, you're going to be a mess. Make sure you're anchored in the truth. Know what you believe. Psalm 86, 11 says this, Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Then it goes on to say in Ephesians 6, 13, the back end, we put on the breastplate of righteousness. What is the breastplate of righteousness? Well, how many of you know that in a battle, this part of you is pretty important? It's so important, the creator put a cage of bones around it to protect it. 
And still, some of you have damaged these organs somehow. I don't know how you did it. This is so important that if you take a shot at any one of these organs, you're probably going to die. So what protects your heart? The righteousness of God. Doing what God asks you to do. Living the way God asks you to live. He doesn't ask you to live that way because he wants to stake, to take all the fun from you on the planet. He does that so that you can protect your heart. Why? As your heart goes, your life goes. The Bible tells us this in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, diligently guard it, or watch over your heart, diligently guard it, because from a sincere and pure heart comes the good and noble things of life. I think the NLT says, from your heart is the wellspring of life. When you live righteously, when you live by God's standards, according to God's will, you guard your life. Sometimes I think we've replaced righteousness with grace. We need grace. Grace gives us the ability to live righteously. Follow his plan. Look at Ephesians 15, 6, 15. It says, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You're going to prepare yourself with peace. Is it by chance that God said your feet should encompass peace? No. You can be the greatest warrior you want to. If you can't walk, if you can't jump, if you can't run, you're stationary and the enemy's going to pick you off. So what is he telling us here? He's saying this, your base has to be the peace that comes from God. You can have peace in any situation you're in. Why? Peace is not an Audi, it's an any. Peace is not dependent on your environment. Peace, the biggest requirement of peace is, is your connection to the Father. Have you ever done stuff that's, you know, and you haven't done it in peace? When's the last time you got in an argument and you weren't in a peaceful place? Did anything you say, did any of that come out good? You say words that you don't want to say. They get you so fired up. I was watching the Steeler game last week. I was not at peace. <laughs> My brother almost broke his TV. He was not at peace. Peace. I, I had a mentor who used to say this all the time, John Paul Jackson. He said, peace is the potting soil for revelation. Which means this, unless you're at peace, you can't hear God clearly. Be at peace. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. Peace is a foundational part of who you are. Be at peace. When you stand in peace, you can fight the enemy. He can pretend he's going to do all this stuff. He can try to rattle your cages, try to rattle Pastor Trisha's cages all week. She stood in peace, praying over her grandbaby. Enemy, I'm not going to be moved. I'm standing in peace. That's what we do. Isaiah 26.3 says this. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. If you struggle with peace, focus your mind on God. Not on your surroundings, on your Savior, on God. Verse 16 says this. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You need the shield of faith. Why do you need the shield of faith so much? The arrows that the enemy shoots at you, what are those arrows made up of? If the shield is faith, what are the arrows? Doubt. Faith is knowing, believing that God can do this. The enemy loves to cast doubt. He did it in heaven. It caused a third of the angels to fall. He did it in the garden. Did God really say that? Do you know that doubt is his number one weapon? He loves to tell you all the reasons why you stink. You can never accomplish anything that God told you you could. He loves to put in your mind through those arrows, doubting God's promises, doubting God's plans, doubting God's timing. This is why, beloved, you need to have a strong, sturdy faith so you can extinguish all the doubts. What is faith for us? Faith is believing that God is the way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper light in the darkness my god that is who you are that's faith faith pushes back doubt pushes back the enemy first corinthians 16 13 says this be on guard stand firm in faith be courageous be strong you love me right i gotta speak something hold on let me take a drink here hold on 
Some of you guys have got to get out of being a victim, and you have to stand. You've got to put your feet in the ground. You've got to pull up your big boy and your big girl pants, and you need to stand in faith. The enemy will not win. The enemy cannot have your children. He just can't. The enemy cannot have your neighborhood. The enemy cannot have your family. The enemy cannot have those things. God is looking for somebody to stand up, to stand in the gap that says, no more, you can't have this. Are you willing to be that person? Are you willing to be a Daniel? Are you willing to be a Moses? Are you willing to stand in the gap and say, no more? God, your promises are yes and amen. I'm going to believe those. Stand. 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 Second Corinthians 5, 7 says this, for we walk by faith, not by sight. It's God's words that fuel us to his direction. Don't be derailed by the things that you see. Verse 17 says this, take the helmet of salvation. What is the helmet of salvation? Why do you need a helmet? I grew up in the 80s when we didn't even have bike helmets. I don't even know how we survived. We, we, we rode in station wagons with no seat belts. We didn't have bike helmets and somehow we made it. Jeremy, we made it. I don't know how we did it. Your head's important because how many of you know this gray matter is important? Why did God equate salvation to your mind? Do you ever think about that? I don't have time to go into great detail with it. Paul has somewhere to go, so we, I'm just going to go skim over it. Why did he equate salvation to your mind? God is always protecting your mind because the enemy is always trying to, to tell you to mess with your, with your salvation, who you are to God. Always. So you put on the helmet of salvation because as you think, you go. If you give God your mind, your heart, if he can transform your mind, he can transform your life. Romans 12, 2 says this, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then he says in the back end of the verse, then you pick up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the only offensive thing that God talks about when it comes to the armor. The word of God is all you need to combat the enemy. The word of God. This is knowing what you believe, beloved. This is getting your nose in the book every day. This is saturating yourself with the book. This is consuming the word. When you consume the word and the word fills you, the enemy, he just, he has to go. He gets pushed away. He does. Know what you believe. Don't know what somebody else told you. Hey, I love books. I'm a book nerd. I love podcasts. Don't believe something because you heard it in a podcast. Don't even believe it when I tell you. Why do I give you so much scripture? Because I want you to, to see things for yourself. I remember when I first came to Christ. This is great. I'm in high school. I have no idea what I'm doing. I got my little good news Bible under my arm. And I remember I was going to math class, and there was a girl in math class. And she saw my Bible. She goes, what's that? I said, it's a Bible. I was very proud of myself. And she goes, really? I said, yes, I'm a Christian now. She says, I'm a Christian too. I said, really, what church do you go to? She goes, I'm a Jehovah Witness. And it just so happened, the week before, my youth pastor told me that Jehovah Witness were not Christians. So I said, well, I don't think you're a Christian at all. And she says, why? Because my youth pastor told me. She goes, can you show me in your word why I'm not a Christian? And I said, of course I can. And I've been saved, I don't know, three or four months. So I opened up my Bible and I started flipping through the pages. Have you, do you know how many pages are in a Bible? A lot. I'm like, I'm sure it's in here somewhere. Couldn't find it. Definitely wasn't in Leviticus. Couldn't find it. And she gave me all these questions. She knew what she believed and I had no idea what I believed. So she gave me all these questions and I know this, I was writing all this stuff down. I went back that next week and I sat with my youth pastor. I was like, dude, this lady just destroyed me. He goes, well, let's go through the questions and I'll show you where it is. You can figure it out. And I go, this is great. Went through every question. I was loaded for bear. It was like the weekend. I was getting ready to come back. It was great. She transferred schools. I never saw her again. She humbled me and crushed me and then just left. That's like junior high, like in a nutshell, isn't it? <laughs> That's every young junior high boy. She just left. She's gone. Know what you believe. We have enough echoes. Be a voice. Read the word with your own eyes. Hebrews 4.12 says this, 
For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Then look at verse 18. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. So then Paul puts a cap on it. He says, by the way, pray in the spirit. Prayer is the gasoline in the end of the church. Now, I think that means two things. First is this, pray in alignment with what the spirit of God wants. When's the last time before you prayed, you said, Lord, will you show me how I should pray? If our prayer moves God's hands, don't you think that it's smart for us to figure out what God wants and then pray it? What do we do sometimes? We just pray. Lord, I need a car. I would like the blue BMW loaded, heated seats, air conditioned seats. Did you know that's a thing? Air con- yeah, you need them both. And then we get discouraged and we don't get it. But we never ask God if that's what he wanted us to have. So we pray in alignment with the Spirit, but I also believe this, as supernatural people, pray in the Spirit. Why do you believe that, Pastor TJ? The verse, if you, did you notice that word Spirit has a capital S? You know what that means? It's a person. The person of the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Romans 8.26 says this, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. It's God's heart that we're in harmony with his will. So we know who the enemy is. The devil's the head. Demons do his bidding. But God did not leave you abandoned and alone. He gave you all the equipment you need to resist the enemy. The Bible says, humble yourself, resist the enemy, and what does he have to do? Flee. But you have to be dressed for the battle. So this is why I want you to ask the Holy Spirit this morning. Bow your heads for a second. Are you willing to step up? Are you prepared to step up and be the church that God wants you to be? You're the church. I'm the church. Are you prepared for the battle? Are you ready to resist the enemy so he'll flee? Not just for you, but for your children, for your family, for your neighborhoods, for your nation, this world. Beloved, it's time to rise up. It's time to wake up. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he tells you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.